Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, where the best in the biz come to talk all things fitness, nutrition, overcoming challenges, to helping you on your journey to greatness. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome. All right, you guys, welcome to another great episode of the Evolved Athlete Podcast. This is one of the first in a brand new series that we're starting in addition to what we're doing with all of our fellow team at Evolve. And it's all about the science of individual topics that have to do with exercise science, nutrition, and wellness. And the biggest one that we're going to tackle first is one of the most popular dietary strategies that's currently out there getting a lot of attention in the science. It's one that I myself am super interested in, and I'm so happy to share it with you all. We're going to do a deep dive into the science and application of time-restricted eating. This is a very, very eye-opening area of research that is showing so much prob- uh, promise in being a viable strategy for not only improving weight loss, but also mitigating, decreasing, and reversing the ultimate negative impact that numerous chronic diseases and negative health outcomes are having throughout our country on individuals across the map at all ages and populations. This is very, very exciting, and I'm super happy to bring this to our Evolve community and everyone else out there who's looking to improve their lives and improve the way that they tackle their nutrition programming when it comes to reaching their goals and lifestyle changes. I do want to give some credit to a lot of the uh, individuals and scientists out there whose information that I've gathered throughout all the resources in the scientific literature, especially highlighting work by Dr. Satchitananda Panda, who is the pioneer in this research of time-restricted eating, as well as other numerous scientists who have put this information together in great reviews, including Dr. Andrew Huberman, which is another great podcast who has been also talking about these topics and how awesome they are currently in the literature. And I do deserve some credit for allowing me to read a lot of this literature and take a lot of this so that I can synchronize it and synthesize it for all of you to understand how to best use this, not only to help fellow athletes, but to help ourselves and to help all that we can in tackling their nutrition-related issues. And so when it comes to time-restricted eating and the impact it could have, let's dive in. First, before we can get started, we have to discuss what a circadian rhythm is. When it comes to circadian rhythms, us as human beings revolve around anywhere from a 24 to 25 hour cycle. Every single process in your body, almost every single organ and cell functions on a 24 hour pattern. And this 24 hour pattern is super important when it comes to your health because there are some genes in your body that should be expressed at certain times in high expression. And there are times during the body where they should be expressed in a low manner to allow other processes to occur. But when this becomes flipped and due to our behaviors and our choices that we make when it comes to exercise, light exposure, and food intake, it can reverse when these genes should be expressed. And that's what causes negative health outcomes. And so to further understand our circadian rhythms, we have to understand what stimulates and what has an impact on our circadian rhythms. And the three most important Zetgebers which are individual sources of stimuli that impacts our circadian rhythms. The three most powerful ones, the ones that have the most impact on your body clock is light, eating, 
and exercise. You can actually entrain your body with all three of these different activities to get it in the most optimal rhythm for your health. But what we're really going to focus on today is because we could literally do a different episode solely talking about light or solely talking about exercise. We're going to be mostly highlighting eating today as it relates to fasting and time-restricted eating. And to dive in, just to give you a little bit of intro into why time-restricted eating has become such a big focus, is a study that came out from Dr. Sachin Panda around the year 2012. And what they found with this is first, let's put it into perspective on why this is important, okay? Um, Because what we know from the scientific literature and health and the increase of metabolic disease and obesity in our country is that elevated levels of blood glucose are a really strong predictor of overall mortality. And so when it comes to talking about mortality and all-cause mortality, this is your risk of dying from any type of disease, and particularly cardiovascular, metabolic disease, dementia, uh, and and other obesity-related diseases. And so when it comes to having higher blood glucose, that increases the association and correlation with having higher mortality. What's even more striking is as we age, we know for a fact that our insulin sensitivity goes down and our resting blood glucose goes up. Our muscle tissue becomes less efficient at utilizing glucose and we are no longer as sensitive to carbohydrate usage. And with the common American diet that we see nowadays, it's very high in carbohydrate and fat. And when you combine this with the intake of highly processed foods that are highly inflammatory and utilize man-made fats such as such as trans fats which we know are highly correlated with with oxidative stress and pro-inflammatory markers and having an even higher risk of cardiovascular disease this can even further put us at risk for higher levels of all-cause mortality and so it is super important that we find strategies that can help keep our blood glucose under control so we can reduce the risk of mortality from a lot of these metabolic and obesity-related diseases that we're seeing in our population. And so what does this have to do with fasting? How can time-restricted eating be beneficial for when it comes to weight loss and not only weight loss, but the management of our health outcomes? And so first, we're going to dive into what is the difference between fasting, intermittent fasting, and time-restricted eating. So fasting in general means being in a state where you have uh, are not undergoing any digestion of food whatsoever, and certain processes in the body are upregulated at this time. Intermittent fasting is a very popular, trendy word we hear a lot in the fitness industry, which is an actual diet that is designed for the purpose of undergoing caloric restriction of only eating calories within a particular window of time. This differs from time-restricted eating because time-restricted eating doesn't necessarily have to involve calorie restriction. However, it can as far as seeing the benefits from weight loss and health outcomes. But regardless of the amount of calories consumed doing time-restricted eating-related strategies, we still see health benefits when we do time-restricted eating, which is what is making time-restricted eating so potentially beneficial when it comes to its impact on our health. Now, something to note here 
And this is something I definitely give credit for when it comes to what is stated in the reviews done by Sachin Panda on his own work and other scientists who have done this work in time-restricted eating is that regardless of the dietary approach, whether it's fasting, intermittent fasting, or time-restricted eating, or any other dietary strategy out there on the market, it still exists the same fundamental principle of thermodynamics calories in versus calories out. The only way that we're going to see weight loss is by being in a caloric deficit that cannot be avoided whatsoever. And this is one of the biggest things that a lot of people in the scientific industry and literature will will critique time-restricted feeding as being this end-all, be-all type of amazing type of approach to weight loss and solving other health-related issues. But as I'm going to point out throughout today's episode, there is a plethora of evidence that is going to show that regardless of its weight loss benefit, Benefits. Time-restricted eating shows so much promise in other areas of our health outcomes, our resilience towards all-cause mortality, and even its impact on things such as protein synthesis, hormones, and other aspects of your health as well. So let's continue to dive in and talk about what happens when you fast. When you fast, we were finding that it is... Yes, it's important about what you eat, you know, as fitness professionals, and we do understand that we do need to have a healthy relationship with food and that we do need to minimize processed foods at all costs and really prioritize whole food options, healthy sources of carbohydrates, fruits, vegetables, healthy sources of protein and healthy sources of fat while optimally minimizing processed food. But what we're finding is not only is it important about what you eat, but when you eat that is starting to become clear is even more important in its regards, not to weight loss particularly, but to other aspects of health, specifically liver health, mental health, and metabolic health, which we're going to discuss throughout today's podcast. And some of the biggest things that we need to talk about is when you are fasting, the two most biggest things we're going to pay attention to are insulin and blood sugar. Every time we consume food, blood sugar and insulin rises in the blood, right? The insulin is is released from the pancreas, which is job is to remove glucose from the blood, either to shuttle it into muscle tissue for utilization during physical activity or to be utilized by other tissues of the brain. What we do know is the higher that these two things remain, especially as we continue to age and are inactive and not as regulated, then we can lose our efficiency of being able to handle these two types of things. And so, and we, what we're finding is that when we consume high amounts of sugars, particularly simple sugars and fructose, that it spikes our insulin and blood sugar even more. Um, and we tend to see less of this, the more fibrous, the carbohydrate sources that we consume, which is why consuming complex carbohydrates from grains and other sources of complex carbs and pastas and so on and so forth could be more beneficial because it does not have as as potent effect on insulin and blood glucose in the blood. Um, But then take it down even further, the more fibrous the carbohydrates, such as vegetables, have an even less impact on our blood glucose levels. And if we take a look at the other macronutrients, just for FYI, protein has an even more modest effect on your levels of insulin and blood glucose. It will raise it, but nothing compared to what consuming straight sugar will do. And then fat has the least amount of impact on on glucose and insulin in the blood. This is why sometimes ketogenic diets or low carbohydrate diets might be very beneficial for those who struggle with metabolic related issues, particularly those who have diabetes. 
But let's go into this further and talk about what the effects of fasting are, because what we see during fasted states is that insulin and blood sugar becomes highly regulated and goes down, which is a very big benefit of doing some sort of fasted period of time. But what we also need to take into account here is that that takes time from the last meal that you ate. And this is why when we start talking about time-restricted eating, that learning about the gastric emptying process is super, super important. And the timing of the day that you do your eating window is important as well to, to really try to make sure that you're getting the most benefits from the fasted state. Um, but we know that there are numerous health benefits that come from this time restricted feeding, uh, intervention. And it's really due to the specific amount of time that we spend in that fasted state and why the eating schedule is so very important. So let's talk a little bit about Dr. Sachin's research. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Panda a long time ago uh, during my PhD when I was at Arizona State. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome because Arizona State puts on this uh, healthy, healthy living lifestyles con uh, concert. <laughs> conference every single year that the doctoral students are in charge of organizing. And Dr. Sachin Panda was one of the guests that we were able to recruit for it um, because he had ties with friends in, a, in our faculty. Um, and he came and he, he spoke all about fasting and time-restricted feeding. And it was a brilliant, brilliant talk. And I'll never forget the illustrations and allegories that he used to describe the benefits of time-restricted eating and fasting in general. And so I would like to discuss one of his pioneer studies that started the, the getting the attention of the scientific community when it came to time-restricted feeding. And, and the title of this study was Time-Restricted Feeding Without Adjusting Calories Has a Positive Impact on Metabolic Conditions. And in this study, they, he, he utilized groups of mice um, and working with his graduate students they fed each group of mice a different type of diet because they wanted to see what the potential effects were on limiting someone's eating window to their active state. So using mice, for example, they're the opposite of human beings. Human beings are uh, corpuscal, uh, what they call individuals, or what we know as diurnal, where we're supposed to be awake and active during the day, whereas mice are nocturnal. They're the complete opposite, right? So the most important time for them to be consuming nutrients is going to be at night. And we know from our circadian rhythms, uh, science, scientific literature, that there's an optimal time of day of which to consume food. There's an optimal time of day to do certain activities because everything we do in the human body revolves around a particular cycle, just as what we alluded to at the beginning of the episode, how we are on a 24 to 25 hour cycle. And there are certain times of day where certain genes in your DNA should be expressed highly and should be expressed lowly due to the time of day. And so just to dive back into the study now, in order to figure out, you know, the effects of time restricted eating. They took four different groups of mice uh, and they gave them a particular diet and had it a particular window. So the first two groups of mice they had on a very basic, you know, mouse chow kind of diet where one group of mice was allowed to eat at any time during the night or the day. They call this ad libitum, whereas the other group of mice was restricted to solely eating during their time window that they were supposed to be awake during that time during the nighttime. Whereas the other two groups of mice, and this is these are the ones that are going to 
get the most attention here. Um, the other groups of mice, they gave a high fat, high sugar diet, right? Um, and they, they compared the two groups similar to the first two, where one group was able to be ad libitum, where they were able to eat this diet whenever they wanted during the nighttime or during other periods of time when they should not have been consuming food versus the other group of mice that was on the high fat diet, but they were time restricted, which means they were only allowed to consume food during a restricted time during in the nighttime. And what they found was incredible. And so the first things I want to notice is what happened to the individuals who were able to eat whenever they wanted. And the group of mice that were able to eat whenever they wanted on the high fat diet became obese. They became very sick. They saw higher levels of liver disease, higher levels of inflammatory markers. They, they, gained weight, they lost motor control, um, and they even became more lethargic. But when we compare this to what actually happened with the high-fat diet for the time-restricted eating mice, something fascinating happened. This group of mice either maintained or lost weight over time. They had improvements in their health markers, specifically related to their liver metabolites, related to their metabolic uh, health markers, including insulin sensitivity and blood glucose. They saw improvements in inflammatory markers and lower levels of inflammation. And they even saw cardiovascular improvements. Are you crazy? All right. And this has been replicated. This, this study was done a while, a while ago, almost 10 years ago now. This research has been now replicated, not only in animal research, but also in human beings now, showing that it is not not as important as what we eat as it is when we eat. And now further research has started to illuminate the importance and powerful uh, stim stimulant that this has as an effect on our body when it comes to eating at particular times. And so the window that they used was an eight-hour feeding window. And we're going to talk about numerous feeding windows throughout the podcast, but the eight-hour eating window seems to be the most important, uh, the one that we're going to anchor to, the one that seems to to have the most positive benefits all around. And so since we've seen this replicated now, let's talk about, you know, what it seems to be the best times in order to put your eight hour window. Um, and so because, you know, I've, I've implemented this with numerous athletes of mine that I work with on the side. Um, and the most that I have seen is the biggest question that I usually get is, well, when should I have my window? And it depends on the foundational principles of fasting, you know, the pillars of fasting, as it were. Um, and it also depends upon, you know, what how our body is regulated. And it's important to understand how your body works. And it is important to understand that at least, you know, and there could be more, we're still figuring this out, at least 80% of the genes in your DNA in the brain and body operate on that 24-hour cycle. And so we talked about this, how the majority of the cells in your body have their own circadian rhythm. And what we see is that the best time to consume food is either during the early active stage of the day, which is from when you first wake up to about early afternoon and the afternoon active stage of the day. And what we do know 100% from the scientific literature is that when food is consumed during the nocturnal cycle, that it can actually diminish our overall health. Um, this is why it is becoming even more important to understand that eating late at night might have a very detrimental impact. And we're going to discuss how and why here as we get later into the episode. Um, but when we should have our eating window is due to the following things, um, because we need to make sure that we're expressing genes at the 
the appropriate times because this can actually improve our health benefits when in reverse, we can see negative health outcomes. And I'll never forget what Dr. Sachin Panda said during his, uh, his lecture that he gave at Arizona State to illustrate this. And he illustrated it the following way. What I'd like you to picture is it's daytime and we have a certain type, we have a certain amount of cars that come onto the highway on the freeway to get to where they need to go at work during the day, right? We have the daytime shift and the cars get on the highway. There's not much of a traffic jam. We're good to go. Okay. And then when it's nighttime, the, the daytime shift comes off and the nighttime shift cars get on the highway. No big deal. But what happens when you do some sort of behavior that engages the daytime workers to get back onto the highway? Well, think of it as as you've got nighttime workers driving onto the highway already, but then you try to bring the daytime workers on at the same time. And that's what causes traffic jams. This is essentially what happens with the expression of your genes. You've got certain genes that should not be active at certain times as others should be active. And this causes disruption in gene expression. And this is what has been found to cause a lot of the health related issues of consuming food or getting light exposure late at night, especially on its impact on your actual sleep quality, which we're going to talk about when we talk about gastric emptying. <laughs> and so what are the bad things that can happen? Well, some of the bad effects that can happen from consuming food during your nocturnal cycle is the negative impact on your liver. We know individuals who stay up late and are sleep deprived see differences in the amounts of levels of secretion of your hunger hormones and specifically ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin is your hunger hormone that is secreted by fat cells and leptin is your satiation hormone. And we know from sleep research that when you are sleep deprived, these hormones get a little out of whack to where we see more ghrelin being released into the blood than we do leptin as a result of you staying up late at night and due to loss of executive functioning as you are sleep deprived of you not being able to think as clearly or logically and you're losing that volitional control, you're more likely to choose the foods that are highly palatable, which means you're going for the Pringles, you're going for the pizza, you're more likely to drink alcohol, and that all together creates the perfect storm and having a negative effect on your health during that time. And so, and what we see further from that is its effects on the liver, specifically the hormones related to metabolism. But in, in, in response to that, however, we see that time-restricted feeding can actually reverse the negative impact on the liver and it can actually reduce the inflammatory markers that are secreted by that organ. We also see that time-restricted feeding has a, <clears throat> has a positive impact on bile acid metabolism, your energy expenditure, and other inflammatory markers as well. And so let's discuss the major pillars that we need to consider when choosing. Do we want to choose the early active part of the day to where we start eating earlier and end eating uh, earlier during the day or the afternoon active where we, we start our, our feeding window in the middle of the day and then cease eating early in the evening and so what's best is, is we know for sure, and this comes from Dr. Sachin Panda, to in order to get the best effects from time-restricted eating, the first foundational principle is not eating at least one hour after waking, no ingestion of food. It might be even better waiting until the mid or late morning. The second major pillar or foundational principle of fasting is not consuming any food two to three hours prior to bedtime. And so this should be, so two to three hours prior to bedtime should be the last time that you consumed a meal. And this is for the purpose of allowing your body to fully transition into a fasted state upon going to sleep. And so what, something that is really 
important for everyone to understand is once you stop eating food, you are not immediately fasting. That takes time. It takes time for your body to digest the food that you've consumed from your last meal. And many things go into what increases or decreases that time of gastric emptying. And so what you do need to do is, you know, how to, how to choose this can be done in the following ways is you need to alter your window to a time that is going to be easier for you to achieve. Is it easier for you to wait to eat first thing in the morning, or is it easier for you to achieve the window by not eating earlier on in the evening? And whatever you can consistently keep to is going to be what is best for you. However, if we want to be absolutely honest with what is seen in the scientific literature as to what is best, it is actually best to keep it more towards earlier in the day, not only to take advantage of of the fasted state that you're in upon sleeping, but also because it'll make it easier to achieve that cessation of eating earlier in the evening. And this is going to be especially important when we talk about protein consumption. Um, and so <clears throat> no matter what, one of the biggest things that we see from fasting, and you probably heard this as a buzzword um, in the fitness industry is autophagy. Uh, and autophagy is a big, big benefit of fasting and that people will make that claim all the time. While true, it can also be attained through caloric restriction. And autophagy is simply the process of removal of damage or dead cells, okay? And allows good cells to go under repair. And this is good for the human body because um, it reduces oxidative stress. Uh, and has numerous, uh, numerous positive health outcomes. Um, however, what we need to understand is that we don't actually get into that fasted state uh, until anywhere from approximately three to six hours after we have finished consuming our last meal. And so this is why it's so important to really be on a strict schedule consistently when it comes to time-restricted eating. And so from a health perspective, it is super ideal uh, uh, to to have a eating window that starts around 9 to 11 a.m. and ends anywhere from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. to allow for that three hours prior to bed. And the biggest reason why is because fasting during sleep is highly related to the glymphatic system. And we know that the glymphatic system is highly important for your brain's ability to wash out metabolite built up that occurs during the day. This is one of the vital, com uh, vital components of healthy sleep um, that allows us to really clear everything out. It helps your brain. Um, we know the cerebral spinal fluid is released and all, and all sorts of positive benefits when regards to metabolism that occurs for your brain. But what we know is that when you are not in a fasted state, if you eat late at night and you're still digesting food, that that has not only a negative impact on your sleep quality, but also has a negative impact on the glymphatic system's ability to properly carry out its processes during the night for, for, the, for breaking down metabolic debris in the brain. And so, and as such, this can increase metabolic related risks that occur over time. And what we know about dementia and other Alzheimer's and other uh, related neurological conditions is it is almost, den almost denoted as type three diabetes, where we see a lot of these metabolic issues that occur in the, in in the areas of the brain as people age and could be a potential reason why people get these dementia-related disorders. And so one of the biggest ways to help combat this is by making sure that we are fasted before we go to sleep at night, or at least we end our eating window three hours prior to allow us to get into that fasted state. 
And so this is why, from my perspective, in keeping to that eight-hour window, some of the best options for your eating window could be from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., or 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And the biggest uh, thing that I usually get back from my own athletes is, well, I like to make sure I have dinner with my family, which is all well and good. And so, and that's why I'll say, try to choose as late as a window as you can to get to the point to where, although you can still enjoy lunch or potentially dinner with your family, it's still getting gives you that two to three hour time window in order to allow your body to fully empty uh, and empty gastrically. And so other things to also gauge about this to either increase the time that it takes or decrease the time that it takes to empty out and to improve gastric emptying and do the following things is it's impacted by the amount of food that you eat and the type of foods that you eat. If you're consuming dinners or your last meal is really, really high in fat or really, really high in fiber, then that will slow down the gastric emptying rate of, of, of time it takes before your system is fully done digesting and it will increase the time that it takes for you to get in that fasted state. So you want to be mindful of the size of the meals that you are that you are strategically putting throughout your schedule throughout the day. And if you want to if you want to decrease the time that it takes to get to that gastric, the optimal gastric emptying time, try to prioritize smaller dinners that are a little bit potentially lower in fiber. Um, or at least moderate in size and so that you can digest them faster than having really, really, really large meals. Something that you can also do to help the digestive process and, in, and improve gastric emptying is to combine them with something acidic. And so sometimes uh, having a little lemon or lime sprinkled over your salad or food can increase the time that it takes to fully go through the gastric emptying process. Using things like cinnamon can also be very, very potent for this. Um, and even going for a light 20 to 30 minute walk can not only regulate blood sugar and blood glucose in the blood after this meal, but also improve gastric emptying. So doing a quick walk of 20 or doing a light walk for 20 to 30 minutes, or even some light aerobic activity on a rower or on a cycle can improve gastric emptying and help you get into the fasted state faster at the end of your eating window. And this can be used very strategically working with your clients or working with athletes or simply planning when to get your steps in during the day as far as a really potent and important way to help you get into that fasted state and reap the benefits of time-restricted eating. And so there are a lot of benefits that comes with this eight hour window. And the next one I want to talk about is protein consumption. Um, and so some research has actually shown that despite being in an eight hour window, because we're, we're seeing some evidence now coming out that it is best to spread out protein as, as evenly as you can throughout the day to get the most out of your muscle, muscular hypertrophy and protein synthesis. So if you have muscular hypertrophy goals and you're trying to build muscle, you're trying to build strength, then you want to maximize muscle protein synthesis. That's, that's, that's apparent. Um, we want to also make sure that we're achieving the total amount of protein that we need per day as well. And so making sure that we're Choosing a time-restricted window that is best for that in eight hours seems to do pretty well. Um, but so one common criticism is when you're on an eight-hour window, well, once you're done, then you, there might be some time to where you could have had more protein later on to the day. Well, we actually see some fascinating research on protein consumption in mice um, that has actually shown us that regardless of 
the protein that we consume or when our window is, if we consume protein earlier during the day, that this might actually be beneficial if we're ending our window, our eating window earlier during the day. Because what we see from this is this actually enhances protein synthesis throughout the rest of the day. Because what they see is when you eat protein earlier during the day, it has a more significant effect on a particular clock gene called BMAL. And we have found that this clock gene in particular supports the maintenance and growth of muscle tissue and the, st- and the stimulus of muscle protein synthesis, which is fascinating. Because if you're an individual who is trying to reap the benefits of time-restricted eating, but afraid that you're not going to be able to get the total amount of protein that you need per day, and that you have this window of three to six hours that you're still awake after your last meal, we actually find that if you're prioritizing an earlier window and getting protein first thing earlier during the day at the beginning of your window, that that can actually have significant benefits in helping you maintain lean muscle tissue and helping you continue to achieve the muscle hypertrophy results that you're looking for. Still making sure that you're keeping to your total protein intake as being an important marker and still getting that total protein throughout that eight-hour window. But this is great news for individuals who are afraid of the fact that they're they're constricting their time window throughout a particular time of day, that we're still able to get a potent effect on muscle protein synthesis when we prioritize eating protein earlier during the day. Now, does this mean that eating protein late at night is detrimental for your health? No, but it is just showing that eating it first thing during the day at the beginning of your window can be very beneficial for the expression of certain genes that can help upregulate muscle maintenance and muscle quality and muscle protein synthesis. And so another thing that is very important to consider as well is how long it takes to actually get the most benefits out of, out of time-restricted eating and get your body into a state where it is regulated and fully entrained into the time-restricted model. And Dr. Sachin Panda recommends at least eight to 10 days is how long it takes for your body to fully get into a built rhythm. And you can do this even faster when you combine the other two important Z-gavers that we discussed earlier, light and exercise. And when you consistently schedule those three things and keep to, for the most part, them on a good schedule, you can really do a great job of optimizing what your body does when it expresses certain genes and how it regulates processes in the body. Now, let's push forward, okay? And let's talk about other certain benefits that uh, time-restricted eating has on the body. And we can first, the one that wants to come to mind, which is a hot topic lately, is gut health. The gut microbiome has become a large uh, a large focal point for many individuals who suffer from metabolic-related issues, from digestive issues, irritable bowel syndrome, colitis, uh, among other related issues. And what we know from the literature um, is that time-restricted eating and fasting actually has a really prominent impact on the expression of clock genes that are involved with the mucosal lining of your gut. And one particular aspect of the gut in particular called uh, lactose bacillus is when in high levels is highly associated with a lot of metabolic disorders that do with metabolic dysregulation, insulin resistance, and other insulin related issues. Um, What we see from the research is that time-restricted eating protocols have been found to actually reduce this lactose bacillus and actually have a positive impact on the development of healthy mucosal lining in the gut, allowing for gut health related issues to have a positive impact and potentially reversed. And so time-restricted eating also has a prominent impact on our gut health and gut microbiome and our ability to restore uh, a healthy gut microbiome. 
In addition, its effects on hormones. We see that numerous research studies also show that it allows us to keep control of our cortisol levels and reducing stress and keeping them optimal for particular times of the day. And the best thing, and this is something that a lot of people have found from fasting a lot of the times, is that they have improved mental focus and clarity. Uh, and fasting in particular allows this not only from keeping blood sugar levels more regulated and keeping your energy levels stable, but also from this the clarity of mind and the stress of thinking uh, about when to eat and what to eat, especially when we have, when you're either entering a weight loss phase or you're trying to think about what you need to eat, when you need to eat and so on and so forth. I know many of my clients that I work with on a daily basis um, struggle with this because they're always thinking about, oh, what do I need to eat or what, how do my macros fit in and so on and so forth. When you're on this time restricted schedule and you prioritize planning your meals beforehand, it completely removes all of that stress um, by allowing you to have full control of knowing when you're eating and what you're eating in the time window of what you're doing it. And then it completely removes that extra stress that could be plaguing your progress that happens throughout the day. Now, let's talk about probably one of the most important things and probably one of the most things that people are waiting to hear um, is how about its effects on fat loss specifically? Um, and this is probably one that causes a lot of ups and downs in the fitness industry of people poking and prodding at time-restricted eating. But it cannot be denied that the more and more research that is coming out on time-restricted feeding is that time-restricted feeding protocols bias more loss from fat compared to any other tissue. So we see that the weight loss that occurs from time-restricted feeding protocols is showing that more of the weight loss is coming from fatty tissue and not muscle or glycogen or any other store or any other stores or tissues from the body. Now, and this is going to be the counter to everyone that criticizes time-restricted and fasting protocols, is that this only happens under calorie restriction. So there must be appropriate calorie restriction in the approach for it to happen. That is unavoidable. Without calorie restriction, there is no fat loss. But under every circumstance with time-restricted eating compared to other uh, nutritional interventions, time-restricted feeding has been found to bias the impact that they lose more of their weight loss coming from fat than other tissues compared to other dietary protocols, which is amazing. And this may be due to the fact that because of fasting's positive impact on liver health, that it might improve the release that the, that the liver releases an enzyme called hepatic lipase. And this is a particular enzyme that is associated with metabolism of fat. And so there might be a heightened ability for the increased metabolism of fat during these fasted times and allows the body to shift into using more fat especially during a deficit. And this is mind blowing to me as far as the positive impact that comes from individuals when they express their overall progress and their overall fascination uh, and their overall you know, success that comes from using fasted relating protocols. But they must be in a deficit for this to occur. Now, another hot topic that I know people are going to be asking as well is, well, what actually breaks a fast? Because you know, I've heard so many things on the internet as far as what breaks a fast and what doesn't. And it is absolutely clear clear that it is more important to understand that it's it depends on the context and the most important thing to consider is 
that you are in a low glucose state. Now, the only way to know this is by having a glucose monitoring uh, monitoring device, doing a little finger prick and measuring your blood. And that is not going to be sustainable for a lot of people. And so usually the best measure of this is after you haven't eaten for a good period of time. And for most people, you're in a true fasted state for 16 hours, you know, or so for when you have a 16 hour window of not consuming food, you can pretty much guess that after five to six hours of not having that last meal that you were in a fasted state. And so, and potentially in a lower glucose state. And so during that time, the things that we know that for sure do not break a fast are consuming things like tea, black coffee. So coffee with no added sugars or sweeteners, water, of course, taking caffeine pills, all right, or other pre-workout supplements that are, that have no calories. Those have no impact on fast. Uh, I know very popular within our evolved community amongst the coaches are those electrolyte powders. As long as there's no added sugar and it's simply just the electrolytes, those are fine. Um, and those in fact have actually been found to make the adherence to fasted protocols much, much more efficient. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Um, but also if you're in that low glucose state, you can actually eat a peanut and that won't break your fast. If you're in a really low fasted state, a really low glucose state, you can have a handful of peanuts and that doesn't break your fast. But take this with a grain of salt because I'm not going to tell you, you know, oh, you can have a whole handful of peanuts and still be in a fasted state. Don't do that. Um, Because it is very difficult to tell whether or not you're in a low glucose glucose state, especially for those individuals that have metabolic related issues. And so stick to the things that you know are not going to have that impact on your fasted state, which are those zero calorie related, uh, beverages such as tea, coffee. Um, sometimes we have to be careful because some gluconeogenic uh, issue uh, related substances or things like branched chain amino acids, things that have calories, those types of things may, may actually spike uh, insulin in the blood. Um, this is where we're going to get into artificial sweeteners um, because a, a lot of, there's a lot of information that goes back and forth in the literature about artificial sweeteners. It may not be that much of a problem when it comes to being fasted. However, we do know that some artificial sweeteners such as sucralose, Splenda, those types of things, um, they may create a rise in blood glucose, especially if you have them in large amounts. Um, and so it may not be a good idea to consume them during fasted periods and not only for its potential impact on blood sugar, but its overall impact on adherence, because although it's zero calories, because they have artificial sweeteners, they will rise rates of hunger. And so, and this will make it much more difficult for you to adhere to the fasting state and be more likely to binge and break your fasted state. And so, and we also see that utilizing artificial sweeteners might have a detrimental impact on your gut health, which is not something we want either. Um, And so the, the literature is low on the effects of natural sweeteners, such as stevia, um, you might be better off sometimes doing things uh, such as those, you know, those artificial sweetener free seltzers, um, or simply sticking to things that are not artificial during those fasted states. So if you're someone who likes to consume, um, the seltzer waters and other artificially flavored things, try to keep those within your fed window and try not to consume those when you're trying to fast, but something that can help you. All right. And that has, you know, a little bit of taste to it as well. That 
might be helpful is those electrolytes. You know, getting a little pinch of salt with water can actually help you adhere to a fasted state because sometimes when people especially are not used to being in those fasted states, you can feel a little bit lethargic. You can feel a little bit dizzy sometimes. Uh, having a little bit of salt in particular with magnesium and potassium can actually help lower and mitigate the effects of low blood sugar and can help you stay adherent to that fasted state. And so just to wrap this up, um, as far as what is the most ideal fasted protocol for time-restricted eating, um, let's summarize the major steps and when are the best times to use these? Who are these best used for? In all honesty, I believe that time-restricted eating could be beneficial for any any population, any age group, every single human being, regardless of how old they are, regardless of their health state, has a circadian rhythm. And it is very, very important to be regulated off of that circadian rhythm. And so a time-restricted eating schedule could be beneficial for anybody. And especially those who are suffering from dysregulation, from metabolic disorders, um, who are having issues with losing weight, who are having issues with sleep, um, individuals who are night shift workers, anyone who is uh, a little bit dysregulated with stress and so on and so forth, time-restricted feeding can be one of these strategies that can help regulate our body to be optimal as we possibly can. Combined with regulating your light exposure of getting mass amounts of bright light first thing and throughout the day and low light at the end of the day, and also scheduling the times of which you're exercising, all of these things, when consistently scheduled together with time-restricted eating, can be very, very beneficial for the body. Make sure that you choose a time window that is either early active part of the day or the later active part of the day, but not during the nocturnal nighttime to allow for that uh, optimal gastric emptying and having the most positive impact on your sleep quality. Because we know that no matter what, sleep is a foundational pillar of health. And if that is not the thing that is prioritized and is negatively impacted, it doesn't matter what you do. The detrimental effects of sleep will negatively impact all the potential positives that come from time-restricted eating. Um, and so the main thing is that sticking to an eight-hour window seems to be best for overall health benefits. If you need to choose something a little bit higher than that, anywhere from nine to 10 hours during the day, then that's when we usually stick to the major foundational principles that are given by Sachin Panda of at least not consuming food until you've been awake for at least an hour after waking and stopping the consumption of food at least two to three hours prior to going to bed. Sticking to these principles can be super, super helpful in getting the most benefits out of time-restricted eating. And if you want to get the most benefits that come from muscle protein synthesis and your protein consumption, prioritizing muscle protein, uh, prioritizing consuming your, your protein first thing earlier in the day in that, and having an early active cycle could be the most beneficial bet when it comes to you wanting to prioritize the maintenance of muscle tissue through the upregulation of the proper genes. Um, time-restricted eating is a very, very promising uh, food-related strategy when it comes to helping individuals with health-related issues. And I think further research is going to continue to show that this is something that everyone should consider no matter what their current health status. Just to put it into further clarification on how so important it is, the, more, the most recent 
scientific literature that's been released has been multiple studies that have been done on obese populations. And what they have found is that in comparison to other weight loss interventions, time-restricted eating specifically had not only improvements in metabolic-related issues for people who are obese, but they also saw uh, improved uh, decreases in subcutaneous fat and even more so from visceral fat. And we know that high levels of visceral fat are highly associated with metabolic disorders, especially obesity, cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, and high cholesterol. I have really enjoyed doing this for you all today. We're going to continue to continue bringing a lot of insights into many scientific uh, and exercise science related topics to really improve our understanding of how we can use exercise science to really improve not only our own lives, but our, our clients and our teams and everyone else that we're leading in this life to leading a healthy lifestyle. As always, the coaches here at Evolve are here to give as much value as we possibly can, not only to our community, but to the world. Please continue to listen to further, further episodes when we dive further into the literature. Don't forget to check us out on social media. And as always, listen to the outro for how you can get involved in the best in coaching and help you not only crush the end of your 2022, but start 2023 with a bang. We're looking forward to seeing you in the next one. I've been Coach P and I'm out of here. Do you want to work with us and becoming the best version of yourself? Be sure to check our coaching application down in the bio to get more information about how to get the best in fitness and nutrition coaching from the Evolve Coaches. Be sure to check out all of our information and great content we put out every single day on our Instagram and our Facebook group. Be sure to check us out on EvolveHealthAndPerformance.com for more information and keep tuning in to the Evolved Athlete Podcast for the best in everything fitness, nutrition, and becoming the best version of yourself. We'll see you in the next one. Evolve Team out.